Will you pray with me? O oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So when I was growing up, I, I had to have been in high school at this time. I remember a controversy in my small town that boiled up when the Parks and Recreation Board was exploring offering a softball league for high schoolers that would play on, you guessed it, Sunday afternoon. So my sister and I were old enough to play in this league, and my dad was one of our coaches, so our family was kind of like, this could be pretty fun. But not everyone in my town was excited. And what I remember is that this possibility caused quite a stir. I remember hushed conversations in parking lots about how terrible it would be to taint our small town with activity on Sunday afternoons. I remember some of the pastors in town preaching very direct sermons about prohibitions against work on the Sabbath. I remember people who went to church wondering what was really wrong with playing softball on Sunday afternoons after worship was over, after all. And I remember some people grumbling that the people who seemed to be the most upset were the people who never went to church anyway. And so why did it matter to them what we did on Sunday afternoon? Well, the Parks and Rec Board decided to offer the softball league on Sunday afternoon. My sister and I were in heaven. Now, summer Sundays meant that my family went to church together, and then we headed out to the softball fields for the entire afternoon in the sun. It seemed like bringing together all of our most favorite things. Sabbath. What is it really? And why does it matter? And does a day of rest mean that we shouldn't play softball on Sundays? Or is it more? Is it something else? We live in a day and time when we have a 24-7 news cycle and a culture that feeds our desire to do more, to see more, to have more, to possess more, to eat more, to drink more, more. We feed on the culture and it feeds on us. And it becomes a cycle of exhaustion. This is something that all of us fall into. I am not immune to being sucked into this cycle. I think none of us are. I remember entire years of my own life that passed in a blur because I was way too busy. And I remember when I was asked, how are you doing, Jill? I would give a weary but very proud, I'm busy, as if that deserved a gold medal. But busy is the answer that our culture encourages us to give and it is the life that our culture encourages us to live our culture invites us to be busy to be restless to be anxious more 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 and so we're starting a series today called holy rest we're going to follow the work of walter brueggemann in his book sabbath as resistance saying no to the culture of now. And Brueggemann begins out with a Jewish understanding of Sabbath, which of course is where we as Christians get our understanding of Sabbath. He quotes Michael Fishbane, who is a leading Jewish scholar who talks about what a Jewish understanding of Sabbath really means. And he says that the Sabbath and its observance are meant to cultivate a theological mindfulness 
because it sanctifies time through forms of rest and inaction. And so that some of the, the, the things that we do during the, the other days, the work days, they, they are filled with what Fishbane calls I don't know what's going on, but now am I live here? All right. So Fishbane calls that ordinary busyness, the stuff that we do during the work days. But on, on, the, on the Sabbath day, the rest of the body and the mind are to take precedence. And so it's, it's in this, this context of this um, dichotomy maybe between the work of physical exhaustion that we do on non-Sabbath days, the work that we do like Adam who was sent out from the garden to toil the earth, and on the other hand, our, 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 our Sabbath days right, are filled with the, the, the work of Moses, this work of developing the inner sphere of ourselves, our interior sense of who we are, and divesting ourselves of the work of toil. And so this is when, on the Sabbath, a sense of inaction takes over that is not laziness, but it's the kind of an action that leads us to an awareness about all of life and restfulness being a gift from God. And so it is this context in which Brueggemann says that the Ten Commandments, all of all ten of them, in one way or another, point back to Sabbath rest. That the fourth commandment, he argues, is like a bridge commandment between the first three that are all about who God is as a God of rest, and the last six are all about the ways that we engage in love of neighbor in such a way that it puts our hearts and souls at rest, that we are at rest with one another. And the fourth one is the one about the Sabbath that is very direct and explicit, that you shall observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And Brueggemann says that because we live in this 24-7 culture that's always on the go, keeping the Sabbath is the most urgent and the most pressing commandment for us today. Because our culture has, in fact, placed us in bondage to restlessness. And so today we're going to focus on those first few commandments and their message about who God is. In Exodus 21 through 3, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So I think what is so fascinating here is that, that God the God of Israel is defining God's self as the one who brought the people out of, of slavery in Egypt. And so for us to really grasp what is meant by this, we have to go back to the land of Egypt and we have to go back to that Exodus narrative. Because Brueggemann says that if we are to understand any God, then we have to look at the socioeconomic system that that God legitimates and authorizes. So for Egyptian gods, we look at Pharaoh's system of production. There is no rest here. There is pressure and more pressure and production and commodity and construction. And the, the slaves, the, the Israelites who have been enslaved, 
are there to make bricks to build pyramid storehouses for the surplus grains of the Pharaoh. And because of the way that the system is set up, others work and produce more and more grain. This is the wealth of the system. And more grains means that more and more storehouses are needed, which means that more and more bricks are needed, which means that everybody just keeps working. There is no rest for anyone in this system. There is no rest for the slaves, but there's also no rest for the taskmasters or the supervisors or even for Pharaoh himself. And the surplus grain in this system is understood as a sign of wealth, which is taken as a gift from the gods of Pharaoh, which means that these gods of Egypt are gods of commodity and gods of restlessness. And in the midst of this system, it is the God of the Israelites who bursts in and frees the people from slavery to the gods of restlessness by bringing them out of Egypt. And the God who frees people, in stark contrast to the Egyptian gods, is a God of rest. We talked about creation when we were doing the baptism, and we only have to think back to that beautiful story in Genesis 1 and 2 to see and know a God who works for six days while creating all that is. And then just when the world is spinning and the sun is rising and setting and the stars are sparkling in the sky and the animals are creeping and crawling on the earth and the people are getting curious, just then, God rests, God stops, God pauses, God rests. And Brueggemann writes this, the divine rest on the seventh day of creation makes it clear, first, that Yahweh, God, is not a workaholic. That Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. And three, that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. And you and I, we were created in the image of this resting God. We were made in the image of a God who is not a workaholic. We were made in the image of a God who is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. We were made in the image of a God who rests because the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. And so for the divine image to come fully alive in us, we must rest. In fact, divine rest is part of who we are in our very beings. We were not designed to work all the time. We were not designed to be anxious about the full functioning of the creation or of anything else in our lives. We were not designed to act as if the well-being of creation or the completion of that project or you could fill in the blank in your own life depends on our endless work. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get tired and exhausted and overworked, I feel vulnerable, I feel anxious, I feel grumpy, and I know I am not my best self in those moments. 
I'm pretty sure that I don't reflect the divine image in those moments. And I have to wonder if this is why rest is so restorative, because it restores us to who we were created to be, reflections of a God who rests. The next commandment talks about the graven images. And this too reminds me of conversations in my small town growing up where there was very much still a, a, I don't know, what's the right word, tension between the Catholics and the Protestants. So the question would always be, is the Catholic Church wrong to have all those icons and statues around the church? And were the Protestant churches right to avoid getting attached to all that sacred art? This commandment about graven images, when we look at it in the context of a God who rests, over and against the gods of restless and endless production and commodification. This commandment is about resisting the urge to put God in a tangible image, and this is important because those tangible images are symbolized by the bricks and the things that we produce in our work. And the Israelites, just like us, were especially prone to being distracted by shiny objects. And in Exodus 32, they build a golden calf and they decide to worship it instead of the one true God. And then later on in 1 Kings, Solomon builds a temple intended to honor God, but he fills it with so much gold, gold everywhere, that it practically rivals Pharaoh's interest in the false god of wealth. We are so tempted by material things that graven images of God have the capacity to draw us away from the covenantal and relational, faithful relationship that we have with God and God have with us. Jesus also presents this kind of either-or option in Matthew. We can't follow both the God of rest and the God of restlessness. And in Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, You can't serve two masters, God and money. And this connects directly with those first three commandments because we can't serve the God of rest and the God of commodity. If we choose the God of commodity, it's a recipe for endless desire and endless productivity, endless exhaustion and endless restlessness. But Jesus is a Sabbath-keeping person. And in his practice and life of faith, he models keeping the Sabbath. He instructs the disciples to keep it too. And he says to them and to us today, you can't have it both ways. And so he offers an exodus, so to speak, a way out of the life of following the gods of restlessness. The other scripture reading that we shared this morning was from Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where Jesus invites the people who are weary the people who are carrying heavy burdens to come to him, and that he will give them rest. In contrast to the busyness of the Roman Empire and the religious system that had been very much influenced by this busyness, Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. I follow the God of rest, the one who called you out of the land of Egypt, the one who delivered you from slavery and who still delivers you 
from slavery. The choice of gods in reality is a choice of restlessness or restfulness. And this reality of restlessness is an epidemic in our culture. We all know it. We all feel it. Pressure, perfection, anxiety, worry, stress, detachment, these are all byproducts of a culture that drives us to be busy all the time, of a culture that convinces us that the, the weight of the world really does rest on our shoulders and that we are responsible for all of it. These are byproducts of a culture that rewards overworking and gaining profits and looking out for ourselves above all else. But here's the thing. These gods of commodity and production and restlessness, they're actually false gods. They won't get us what we're looking for, which is why when we follow them, we're actually like hamsters running on a wheel, and we eventually fall exhausted without ever reaching a goal. And yet to choose not to follow them requires intentionality because our culture is constantly pushing us toward them. And so this week and throughout this series, you're going to be invited to reflect on Sabbath. You're going to be invited to reflect on your own practice of Sabbath and what that reveals about what you believe about who God is deep down and what gifts you believe God is giving you. And so, I'm not going to go through that this morning, but you're going to find that information in the newsletter this week, a guide to spiritual exercise that invites you into that deeper thinking about following a God of rest. Your challenge is to begin to not only reflect, but to develop and strengthen your own practice of Sabbath-keeping. So will you pray with me? Oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. <laughs>